This episode is produced by Mouth Media Network and presented by Solar. Basically, I had this camera that I had bought. Um, I was 15 years old, and the about four days before the actual shoot, this point-and-shoot camera that I had that I was going to shoot the job on broke. And so I was like, okay, now or never. This is, you know, I, I kind of had this weird existential moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to make this my career. And I decided to buy my first professional camera. Can an artistic passion develop into a modern day business through the power of influencer commerce? For photographer and social influencer Spencer Cohn, co-founder of Supercharge, which creates international brand campaigns with influencers, it has and how. Coming up, how Spencer propelled his career relationships within influencer communities to transport him to destinations from Nicaragua to Bali. I'm George Manley, and you can find Spencer on Instagram at Spencer Cohn and his journey on this episode of Solar Stories, The Art of Influence. So Spencer... Spencer, my friend, George, co-owner of Supercharge, uh, photographer extraordinaire, um, social media personality, um, community builder, and uh, just fantastic person all around. Thank you for coming. Thank you. If I had that uh, intro played to me every morning, I'd wake up and feel really good. <laughs> so most mornings you don't feel good when you wake up? Mm, I feel I feel pretty good. It depends on the morning. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so... Um, one of the things that I love about this podcast is that I get to interview whoever I want. And I have gotten the privilege of interviewing people like yourself who I consider good friends. And so I am uh, very grateful for your attendance and, uh, and the opportunity to get to have a, a little fireside chat. Well, I appreciate being here with you. And I definitely am happy to be part of the Solar family. I'm also grateful that you uh, introduced the idea of bringing Japanese whiskey uh, into the into the room mm -hmm. because it'll make this conversation a lot more liquid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what time is it? One thirty. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But it's Friday, so exactly. So we uh, <clears throat> we can enjoy this, and uh, and at the end we'll do a little toast. So let's dive in. I would uh, first and foremost love to know specifically because everybody asks me in the social commerce world, especially people that are approaching solar about joining the solar family, um, they say, you know, oh, what are these, what are these supercharge offsites that, uh, that you've, you've been talking about? Many of them, um, uh, do know about supercharge and some of them even gone on your trips, but why don't you start off just by talking a little bit about that and then maybe, uh, maybe some highlights. Sure. So supercharge started off with, uh, myself and my business partner, uh, Gonzalo Franco about two years ago. It was an interesting time because I was kind of coming off of a uh, stint as the creative director of this magazine called Lady Gun Magazine, and I was kind of looking for something new to go into, new to explore. Um, I was pretty familiar with the blogosphere, the influencer escape. It wasn't really called the influencer escape at that time, uh, even you know two years ago. And we met up one night in my old photo studio. Had a had a beer, had some pizza, and somehow started talking about a way to almost crowdfund a campaign. 
So we came up with this model of a multi-branded trip where we get multiple brands to kind of share the cost of an overall campaign internationally. Uh, so we started doing this. We both invested our own money into it, put this whole thing together. And our first our first trip was to Nicaragua. Um, we brought three influencers. We brought uh, a few brands as kind of case studies. And now, how did you get connected with these influencers and brands? Were uh, they through, already people in your network? Or? Yeah, personal okay. contacts. Got it. Uh, luckily, you know, we came from very uh, you know good backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Franco had the hotel uh, situation covered, mm-hmm. and I was because able of his to background with Andaz hotels, uh, inter- intercontinental, intercontinental, yeah, yeah, and. Um, our first clients were some of my old clients from photo and video. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got in at a good time and it was right when travel on Instagram was becoming, you know, this multi-million dollar kind of industry. Yeah, absolutely. So we started growing. We started pitching to more brands working with the same influencers, we consider ourselves to be a family. So we work with the same people as often as we can. And then uh, pitching out to new clients and mm-hmm. s- slowly we built, you know, this, this business. And so the model is that the brands pay for the influencers to essentially travel for free. They pay you guys for your services to curate the entire event. Mm-hmm. And then you produce assets out of it. Is that how it works? Exactly. So a brand is sharing the cost of both of the travel of the actual campaign imagery and videos. So we always bring a content team on board and then we uh, have the influencers agree sometimes compensated, sometimes not uh, to post. Awesome. And so what other brands have you worked with and where, what other destinations have you traveled to? In the past two years, we've been to Nicaragua, St. Lucia, Morocco, Cuba, Mexico, Bali, Finland, and Croatia, uh, amongst in a few other places. Oh my god! Uh, it's it's that been sounds pretty fun, fun, but it also sounds exhausting. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly looking forward to a time where I can travel and it be for fun. Right. Uh, I, I took my first vacation, like actual personal vacation, to Spain uh, with Franco in the past. In the, it was my first vacation in the past four years. Oh my god! So. Yeah, definitely looking forward to traveling for fun. But overall, it's an amazing experience. And luckily, the people that we work with are great friends. So it's not like it's that stressful. And where are you taking that business? Are you interested in recruiting more influencers, recruiting more brands, getting more clients? Um, do you have specific like places in the world that you think would be great places to shoot? Um you know, where, where, do, where do you want to go with it? So I've, I've been to Tokyo before. Um, I was filming a documentary out there about four years ago. But I think that that would be kind of on the top of our list of places to go. Right now, it's interesting because the multi-brand model was a way to kind of build our business. Um, but it, it does require a lot of risk. Sometimes we don't have enough brands sign on, but we decide that we still need to go on with the project. And so we we either don't make the profit that we think we're going to, or sometimes we've even taken a loss. Um, we've been lucky that we've been 
two years in and have seen great profits in our business. But right now we're focusing on those larger activations. Right. So single-branded trips, uh, I think that we're going to cut out the multi-brand trip because it's just too too risky. Too many people to chase down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're looking to do content and we're also looking to do uh, activations and events. So similar to uh, this project that we did out in Finland, we worked with the brand Origins and this was our largest project yet. We had uh, 50 influencers plus their guest plus uh, 16 brand executives from the Origins team from 16 different countries. Um, you know, the people literally at the top of the company. And we worked on this trip. It was a million dollar budget. So it took about eight months to both pitch, put together, and then execute. Wow. And we're looking for projects more in, in that scale. Right. So rather than picking a place and saying this would be an amazing place to shoot and getting your influencers together and saying, here's the date, let's go do this now, let's recruit brands. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for brands to come to you and say, you know, we want to be the sole brand with your influencer set. You pick the place or we'll tell you where we want you to go and we'll pay you to do it. But you essentially set it up from there. Sure. Got it. And I, I definitely see ourselves going to brands still and pitching out. Yeah. Because, you know, we have a, an amazing Rolodex of clients, but at the same time, you know, they're not going to be constantly thinking about us. So that, that pitching process is always essential. Yeah. Um, people, you know, won't really come to us as often as we'd like them to. Right. You know, it's it's interesting. You talked about how you know, the initial influencers that you've been working with are, you know, essentially friends or contacts through your your background. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, feel that the influencer world is just like this big goofy party scene that doesn't really have a direct like uh, ROI and like mm-hmm. people don't really know like what they're paying for. You know, if a brand gives $10,000 to somebody who posts a picture of them playing with that product, like how does that really turn into sales, right, mm-hmm. for that brand? So, so how do you, you know, justify the idea that these, um, and I'm talking about when you're pitching the brand, right? How do you justify that the the assets, the the digital assets that will come out, the creative assets that will come out of these trips is actually going to build like the online, you know, brand value for that brand mm-hmm. uh, for the investment of the trip? Sure. Well, first and foremost, what's, what makes us different than almost anyone else is that we have a, a content uh, kind of aspect to our to our projects at all times. If a brand comes to us, we require them to hire our content team and our production team mm-hmm. on top of this. So that's immediate, you know, value to the actual project. Obviously, you know things are things are changing drastically in where we started versus where things are now. Uh, the the bloggers the blogosphere and the influencerscape is drastically different. Um, I feel that right now. People are brands are going toward influencers who are much more focused in their actual kind of style and aesthetic and voice. Mm-hmm. So people who speak about sports or only fashion or only beauty or are even, you know, market based. So I uh, I've been seeing some people around the city who are doing really well who don't necessarily have four hundred thousand followers but only have 50 to 100,000 followers and are getting paid the same rates as those kind of macro influencers. 
But most importantly, the way that I see it is, you know, brands have been spending so much money to advertise in, you know, stadiums or advertise online or advertise on TV. And you look at Yankee Stadium, Yankee Yankee Stadium holds 40,000 people in one night. An influencer can easily have 40,000 followers. An influencer generally well, – You, you know, say easily, but I mean <laughs> I get what you're saying. It's yeah. all relative. <laughs> These days – I think I have 400 uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We can we can work on this. I'll I'll teach you a few tricks. I know. God. We'll get we'll get you on the discovery. I have all page. these important people that actually know how to do this and I just don't do it. <laughs> but you're you're an influencer in yourself and and in your own right because the people who follow you are actually, you know, these people who are heads of companies That's or yeah. you know, it's it's value. Do you follow me? I do. All right. I do. <laughs> Check your notifications. <laughs> but the so the the point behind the the kind of analogy of Yankee Stadium versus a, an online following is right. that an influencer has this large following. They're very much engaged in what they're saying, and they're constantly interacting. An influencer is like somebody who could potentially live next door to you, right? And you trust that person more than you trust something that is very obviously kind of this paid advertising. And so, you know, sometimes, and I, I'd really appreciate what the FTC does in terms of their online guidelines. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, an influencer is so curated and guarded with their own image that they wouldn't work with a brand unless they truly believed in it. Right. No matter what the, no matter what the brand pays. Right. So it well, helps. That's, that's the, these influencers that are both your friends and some of them now your clients, or I should say, you know, partners in these mm -hmm. endeavors that you have. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating, because I really am relatively new to the influencer world, is um, that, you know, these people are literally like modern day celebrities. You know, yeah. when, I, when I hang out with, you know, Broderick Hunter and Charlie Matthews and like, you know, uh, Sharunis Jackson, all these guys in LA, and we like skip the line and get into catch and then like, Paris Hilton and John Mayer walk by and mm -hmm. like say hi to them. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starstruck, but at the same time, I'm not surprised. Yeah. But then the other side of that is that almost every influencer that I've met that does it as a business, that's really mm -hmm. a professional, which is really all we work with at solar sure. is, um, is really like down to earth. Mm -hmm. Like they're interesting, like normal people that you want to hang out with. Um, and you don't get that same sort of, starstruck sort of distanced feeling um that you do with say you know a major celebrity that you might see on the street mm -hmm. um they feel like they could be your friends in a lot of cases now i'm lucky they are like yeah. you um so you know getting back to sort of the monetization of these relationships um where do you where do you see that heading um not only in your business with these experiential events but but how do you see the influencer commerce world sort of evolving uh, mm -hmm. from a from a, a a financial standpoint? Like, how are we going to continue to monetize these relationships so that it's relevant and important both to brands and to the consumers that follow them? Mm -hmm. So I actually think that the internet is quickly getting smaller, and I'm gonna I'm gonna plug a company that I think is creating something that 
is very valuable based on this need for community because you guys at Solar are really recognizing this and we see all of these influence all of these brands putting together their pop-up shops and these experiences and you know getting people to come in and showcase basically like-minded people to showcase the brand that's doing this right to their audience and then people say wow this is really cool this person that I really love online is actually you know repping the brand maybe I should go in too so you look at um for example one of uh, our clients Winky Lux mm-hmm. they just created a pop-up shop and I think the model is absolutely genius because what you do is you have to actually sign up for a ticket online you pay $10 to actually go and see his experience. But then your $10 Online experience or in person? Uh, they, so they just opened up this pop-up store um, in Soho. Oh, okay. And it's this incredible space with multiple rooms, and each room is super Instagrammable and filled with their products and filled with these kind of backdrops and moments. But in order to get in, you have to pre-reserve your ticket. Your $10 entry fee then goes toward your shopping basket. So, you know, obviously it's saying it's incentivizing people to get in shop, to be part of, they call it uh, the winky world, Mm -hmm. and to kind of bring that, like, online experience then into real life because Winky Lux became very popular online. They're, you know, featured by many beauty bloggers, and so the main the main point with this um, kind of example and story is that brands are now needing because Instagram is still very valuable, but changing. These people who are highly curated and highly focused are the ones who are receiving the spotlight. And so you speak to I've spoken to many of my influencer friends about this who have upwards of four hundred thousand followers, and they're trying to figure out how to reposition themselves because they're currently followed for their lifestyle, for their kind of overall view. But the people who are, you know, those like really focused in terms of one specific genre. Yeah, um, I imagine they plateau in their audience at some point. Sure. There's only so many people that care about like, you know, your love for purple cashmere sweaters. Sure. Yeah. Well, actually, I I'd somewhat disagree. I think that if somebody was interested in purple ca- only purple cashmere sweaters they'd be and had a, a decent following at this point they would be potentially more valuable than someone who's not dictating their specific taste so you see um the world of uh influencer commerce social commerce becoming more actually offline and more interactive with with like the physical presence is what you mean mm-hmm. like these pop-up experiences not exactly that. I think that they both go hand in hand and people are realizing and it's it's like a few years ago when for example film photography was was big. Right. Um you know, people were getting out and shooting and developing and uh Kodak had a little bit of a resurgence uh that came around with the Impossible project, but then I think that where the influencer escape is going is that people right now who are kind of in the middle of building their platform rather than the more established people are actually going to potentially do better because they understand the market right now versus a a year ago. And so somebody, let's say somebody decides to only focus on shoes 
or let's say somebody is a guitar aficionado or the, there's these um, two girls who are, in my opinion, genius around uh, in the city. Uh, I just found out about their profile. Their their profile is at Sweats in the City. Yeah. And I know who you're talking about. I've seen it. They're and like they, they go around and right review yeah, yeah fitness studios. Yeah. So, you know, they, they're at around 60,000 followers right now. Yep. But they go to any fitness studio in the city and, you know, it's sold out. It's amazing. So people are needing to find their niche. Right. I think that's the, that's the main point. Okay. So coming up, you'll hear, well, first Spencer will put his pants back on. And then you'll hear <laughs> about his love I just felt really comfortable. <laughs> Follow the show on Instagram at solar underscore stories, and you can find more episodes of Solar Stories and learn more about solar at solar.com. So Spencer, I, I really want to talk uh, because I think you're a brilliant artist, and, and I don't want that to be in any way ignored in this conversation about you know influencers and social commerce. Um, you know, we've, we are going to be working together. Uh, we've hired you as a photographer and, and I hope that relationship goes for a long time. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, sort of building off of the idea that, you know, you're an artist first and then the art, uh, you know, sort of transitioned in a way for you to, to monetize it and, uh, and, and essentially, you know, help celebrate other people's brands by building them up. Um, initially through your fashion photography and your work with brands, but then now in your work with influencers. Um, just talk for a minute about that evolution mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, I'd even, I'd love for it if you started at the beginning, like, you know, like what got you interested in photography Sure, as a medium? Well, I've been, so I was given my first camera when I was about nine years old. Um, it was from my aunt. And she was a photographer, um, fine artist. She was, you know, my favorite person when I was growing up. And uh, unfortunately, she passed away very young from uh, cancer. It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, so we, you know, it was. It, I, I was too young to fully understand what was happening, but somehow this piece of her really managed to stay with me and grow with me and is something that I consider a, a very sentimental piece of what I do. But I started out and it was a Polaroid camera. It was a Polaroid 600. So I would go around and I, I still actually have my first photos that I've ever taken. Awesome. But I would go around and just have a camera with me at all times. Um, I moved on. I started stealing my mom's uh, point and shoot camera and then saved up everything. So I, I've been working since I was about 12 years old. Um, like you've been getting paid? Not, not for photography, oh, okay. but actually I've been getting paid for photography since I was 15. Uh, still, still pretty young. What were you doing at 12? Uh, I was mowing lawns. I was doing handiwork. I was, um, let's see, just anything I could to get money. I was a pretty ambitious kid. To build, to build up your equipment. Uh, yeah, just to, I mean, I was I was raised by amazing parents who just taught me the value of money and anything that I ever wanted outside of food 
that they would put on the table, uh, I had to pay for. So ditto. Yeah, it's, it's something that I really value. So I had this, I had this, you know, small savings account and my first kind of real photo gig was actually for my uncle, uh, who runs a, a, a countywide magazine down in Maryland. And which county? Uh, in uh, Carroll County. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's called Carroll. I grew up in Montgomery County. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I have tons of family down there, but um, it's called uh, you know Carroll Magazine, and he was uh, a couple years in, and saw my passion with photography and really wanted to kind of um, you know encourage it. So he said, "I'll give you fifty bucks if you shoot my cover." It was it was also a very good price for him. Um, so yeah, maybe that's that's why he wanted to. Did do he it. give you subject matter like how did or did you just say go do your thing and if it makes sense did did you have to do it in Carroll County like was it, did it have to luckily be I did it up um, in uh, Westchester where I grew up uh-huh. and it was the whole theme was skateboard culture oh cool. so I, I grew up I was a, a skater kid and so he knew that I had friends knew that I was really into photography. Did my I basically I had this camera that I had bought. Um, I was 15 years old, and the about four days before the actual shoot, this point and shoot camera that I had that I was going to shoot the job on broke, and so I was like, okay, now or never. This is you know I, I kind of had this weird existential moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to make this my career, and I decided to buy my first professional camera. So I shot the job, loved it. I loved, you know, finding the locations, posing my friends and just seeing the the result. And, um, you know, the, the $50 went back towards saving uh, for new equipment. <laughs> I had that that following summer. I had my first internship with this uh, food photographer named Peter Piopo. And then the following summer, I had another internship uh, with this photographer, he was a fashion photographer, still is, uh, named Michael Cray. And Michael was the one who really like took me under his wing and and became, both of them were our great friends and great mentors. Um, but Michael, the, I think it was the subject matter that he was shooting that really attracted me. Which was what? Fashion. Yeah. Uh, he was doing a lot of really great fashion campaigns, editorials, uh, still is. I'm speaking as though this is past tense, but right. he's still an amazing, accomplished photographer. Yeah. And I started interning for him, uh, assisting him, and spending almost all of my free time out in the city. Uh, I ended up, you know, kind of meeting a couple of friends through there. I photographed my first model through Michael, and he really encouraged me to build a, a portfolio. So 16-year-old me was going into the city every single weekend um, that's when I met, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Erica Lavlinay, who is now uh, a blogger. Um, she started out as a fashion stylist and we kind of created this little collective that would just do fashion shoots and build our portfolios. And we ended up, uh, kind of growing up together in a way. And now we're pretty established in the industry in that sense, but fast forward, I moved to San Francisco after having, you know, spent some time and spent some years assisting. Uh, I was out in San Francisco and I had 
this small portfolio of New York models and New York fashion. And I came in thinking that I was a little bit of a, a big fish in a small pond because San Francisco, the, the fashion industry out there is just yeah, much smaller minuscule. market. Yep. Yeah. So I started building my portfolio more. Uh, I started building my portfolio more. I started kind of developing my eye uh, in photography. I'm known for this kind of surreal color scheme uh, that I like to use in my photos. I, I'm very inspired by different backdrops. I'm very inspired by different, different types of fashion, but I always tend to go towards color. I feel that color is a way to kind of alter the mood in a somewhat normal scenario. So you shoot in colorful environments or you like edit with color? What do you mean? It's always in camera. Okay. So any, any, of these different color effects or any of these kind of special effects that you see in my photos are all done in camera. Wow. Um, and not a lot of people know how to, how to do that, but I was out in San Francisco and, you know, met this, uh, amazing community out there and continued to develop my portfolio. Um, I was shooting for a couple of different magazines at the time. Um, one of my, uh, best friends from out there was just a, a star on Project Runway. Uh, Dexter cool. Dexter Simmons, awesome guy. Very cool. And so it's interesting to see how this kind of small community that I grew up with, you know, is now really you know establishing themselves and established in their own right. But I moved. I spent a year in San Francisco. I. Then decided, okay, I've kind of done this. I don't have much more to learn out here. And I needed to be in New York to actually establish myself out here. This is where all the jobs are. So I came back to New York. And, you know, luckily, everyone says that you leave New York and people forget about you. But it's absolutely not true. I came back and was still hanging out with, you know, Erica and um, my friend Kim uh, Meshes, who is a designer, stylist, uh, entrepreneur in his own right. You know, it's, it's interesting. All the people that I've been with for the past like 11 years um, are still are still with me today and still my best friends. That's so awesome. in the in the past few years, I've been in Brooklyn now for eight years. Um, I've had multiple photo studios. I've shot for every major magazine. I've shot major celebrities. Um, musicians, actors. I've shot for every single uh, major label out there. And can you name any of them? Name any of the celebrities or, or yeah. actors or anybody that that the listeners might know? Yeah, um, G. Easy, Halsey. Uh, I photographed uh, Paul Wesley from uh, Vampire Diaries. Um, I've been in Vogue magazine, Elle, Marie Claire, V magazine. Um, my clients are Atlantic Records, Columbia, Universal, in general. Um, let's see, Island Records. And it's always, it's always interesting because going back to what you were speaking about a little earlier, how these influencers are, the the most established influencers are just really humble, hardworking people. Right. That's what I found Absolutely. with celebrities as well. But so. I just don't know any celebrities. That's why I don't know the difference. <laughs> Yeah, it's I've never I've never really had a, a bad experience with a celebrity. 
It's always the people who, you know, think that they're going to be celebrities and are really trying hard to be celebrities but haven't quite made it that have the the biggest egos. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of photo, that's that's kind of where I I went. I've I feel like I've already lived a couple different lifetimes. Yeah, you have. My, How old are you? Uh, twenty six. Yeah, you have. You, yeah, you absolutely have. I think this is probably the first time that both of you are hearing my age too. So, <laughs> I well, think the, I, you know, your age is actually relevant to my next question because mm-hmm. it sort of involves um, the general call call HR. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it sort of involves the generational aspects of of you know what what we're talking about. Um, so you know, if I think of a you know, famous photographer or traditional photographer that, that, that grew up as an artist, you know, several decades ago, they didn't have the same ability to like manage and grow and sort of curate their online community at the same Mm -hmm. time, their social community, which you've, you've done a great job of. So my question is that, you know, while you were going through all of those, um, moves and, and, and growth spurts, we'll call them in your, in your love for photography, um, uh, understanding, the connections you had with people and your mentors. Um, were you also focused on sort of growing your online presence or, and, or were you allowing some of these like celebrities and, and, uh, and high powered influencers and all that, that you were becoming friendly with help? Were they helping you grow your, Mm -hmm. your network? So I have, I have a very interesting situation and I actually am asked this question pretty often because I have, uh, something like 18.6 thousand followers it could drop down to 18.5 tomorrow. It could yeah, go up. As soon as know. the the bots disappear, yeah, mm-hmm, probably exactly like 20 or something. I paid good money for those. <laughs> no. Um, something, something that I actually didn't mention in my kind of photo career um, because I've, I've photographed so many different kind of subjects and genres was that I've spent a good probably six to seven years photographing backstage at Fashion Week. And I would, I had this really cool experience where New York Fashion Week, right? Uh, or, yes, or all Fashion Week? New York Fashion Week, yeah. Which is probably one of the most intense fashion weeks. Oh my weeks. god, absolutely! So I was, I used to be hired by different magazines. Um, I started out with Hunger Magazine, photographing for them. Amazing, amazing magazine. I was so like privileged to work with them, but. I would be hired to shoot about 30 to 40 fashion shows per season, uh, each season for about six or seven years. And I was this, you know, kind of Season young... being less than like what? Oh, uh, six ten... days. Yeah, I was going to say it's less than a week. That's an exhausting amount of work. It was, it was pretty intense. And I would have to carry around this 50-pound camera bag with me. And, you know, at first it was kind of easy because it was all in this one venue, uh, Lincoln center. And then it, all of a sudden, you know, it started spreading out all over the city. So I was going uptown, downtown, east, west, and then it eventually moved to Brooklyn. And I was like, screw this. I'm no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going any further, but back in 2014, when Instagram was really at its kind of prime growth, um, I had this really interesting email during fashion week. I had just photographed the hood by air show mm-hmm. and, you know, that was kind of the, like the show to go to that year. Right. 
um, you know, uh, Shane Before Off-White and, was, was, was yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, Shane and his whole team um, were really doing some pretty crazy things. Right. And so I had just photographed their show. I was backstage. I was really known. So I wasn't doing the typical backstage shots. I was doing this more like editorial curated look to backstage photography, oh, which cool. not many people were doing. Was that by choice or was that somebody was telling you that's what we want? No, I, yeah, nobody could have told me to, to, to do this. That's um, really cool. The thing with photography that I've always felt is so many photographers spend their time trying to emulate others rather than finding what piques their own interest. And I've always been lucky that I've been able to kind of work in the industry and do my own thing and explore my interests at each intersection. So I was, I had just photographed this and all of a sudden I receive an email and it says, hello from Instagram. And I was like, mm, what? And the email read something along the lines of, you know, Hey Spencer, we were going through all of your, um, you know, fashion week content on Instagram. Uh, we really think that you're doing something special and we'd love to do an interview and blog post, uh, of you. And so if you, if you Google it today, you can still find it. And so I said, you know, I emailed them back immediately. I was hey, I on my way. They had a blog. Where's mm -hmm. the, where is it? Uh, it's something like Instagram.blog or it's n it's now on Tumblr. Okay. Um, you have to have a, a Tumblr login to actually see it, oh. which is not working in their favor, but whatever. Um, and so I did this, you know, I, I e emailed them immediately within 10 minutes. I was on the phone with them doing an interview that quickly. Wow. And so then the next day they premiered the interview and around that time, 2014, I had something like 1,700 followers. And my interview was featured and live and on the Discover page and on the blog and on Facebook for two weeks straight. And I was getting something like 1,500 new followers per day. Oh, jeez. And like my phone was blowing up. So at my peak, um, I was at, I think, 24,000 followers. So my my situation is kind of interesting because I actually haven't spent a lot of time building and curating my social media. I've spent a lot of time doing my work and, you know, kind of trying to establish my voice, but I was, um, I went viral in this short period of time. And I actually wish that I had taken more advantage of it because I was so focused on what I was doing. And, you know, when I, I was, uh, at that time I had a studio and had all of this stuff going on and I just had to focus on making money. So, yeah, that's the downside of that opportunity is that it really didn't bring you any money. It just brought you online fame, right? Or did you get jobs out of it? So that's also what's unique about like my whole Instagram presence is that I can count in four years that I've had over, you know, 10 K followers I can count on two hands the number of jobs that I've actually gotten directly through Instagram. Right. Yeah. So I'm much better at meeting people and saying hi and going to different events. And uh, luckily, my friends are my my greatest um, kind of cheerleaders. You know, I've never actually had to market myself. 
When we come back, you'll hear how Spencer will be disappointed by the fact that doing this interview actually decreased his follower count on Instagram. I know you to be a, a, a really wonderful guy, a warm guy, um, an artist, somebody I like knowing and spending time with. I'd like to dive a little deeper into, you know, your, you as a person, mm-hmm. you know, again, I was a little curious as to why your pants were off earlier, but we, I mean, we don't have to talk about that. Um, we can just talk you, you about, you bring me whiskey and all of a sudden <laughs> it touches the lips. Yeah. Um, I told you just don't bring me alcohol. Otherwise yeah. I just take clothes off. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is just an audio recording so you can literally, you know, mm. wear whatever you want. Um, we, we, we are very open. Nobody, to... nobody knows, but Mark actually still has his pants off. <laughs> Mark is producing this by the way. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you this one more question about photography and then I'd like to know what some of your other interests are. But, um, the, uh, if you like as an artist, forget the monetization of it, forget the, you know, um, the clients you have as an artist currently with photography, mm-hmm. what about the art do you find interesting? I mean, so much is changing in the digital environment, but also, um, like what would be your, if, if you had unlimited resources and you could go shoot something hmm. as an artist, mm-hmm. what would it be? Man, I, I've been asked that question before and it's, it's a very valid question, but I don't have, I don't have an answer to it. Like I find that I'm inspired by where where I am at the current moment. And so looking forward and looking to an ideal shoot, there isn't one because photography is something that feeds me in every situation. I can be taking a picture of a, you know, the the corner of a wall right. because I'm doing it because it's what I feel at that current moment. It's gratifying me the same way as it would if I were, you know, in this incredible studio shooting the most amazing, you know, backdrop and models and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But every artist I, I feel, maybe I'm wrong, um, has a specific thing that sort of, you know, gets their blood flowing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but like Tom Ford, you know, is a designer, so a different kind of artist, but like he loves sex, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I bought my tuxedo for my wedding at the Tom Ford store in uh, Las Vegas a couple of months ago. And I went to the bathroom in that boutique and there was the sexiest photograph mm-hmm. I've ever seen in my life on the wall above the toilet. It was a couple in Italy literally going at it, making out. And, one, mm-hmm. and the guy had his hand like thrusted down the girl's pants and they were in the back of a car. It was just like, it was like, I was like struck and I stopped and stared at it and like hung out in the bathroom for like five minutes. So anyone who's in Vegas, walk into the town yeah. Ford store and check out this picture in the bathroom. But like, you know, obviously that got me going as a consumer of that mm-hmm. art, right? But like, what gets you going? Like when you see something, what makes you pull your camera out of your pocket, you know, like commissions aside? I love personality. For me, having having a story and having personality and having something to kind of see and then extrapolate extrapolate on is the most inspiring. So this is why the, this is why I like working with uh, musicians. 
Um, I've actually recently started working with uh, a few different musicians uh, on a kind of consulting basis and helping them with like content and their socials and a little bit of like marketing and PR. Cool. And any artists that we would know? Um, American authors. Oh yeah, great, great band. That's right. They're they're good friends of mine. Uh, turned into a client, and what I see in them is a band who has such an amazing story. They're the most humble people you'll ever meet. You know, you I've introduced them to my friends, and my friends say, "Oh, what do you do?" They're like, "Oh, you know, we, we make music." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, anything we would know?" Like, I bet Bono oh. would have a different answer. <laughs> well, he's he's Bono. <laughs> but, you know, musicians are these people who, through writing and through storytelling and through a sound, can tell a story. And through the sound, you can envi- you, through the sound, you can envision things, which is amazing to me. Uh, I'm also really inspired by writers. Because I find writing to be one of the most beautiful arts you could ever you could ever witness. Do you write? Um, I read a lot. I read a lot. I write a lot of emails. <laughs> Don't but, we all? Uh, if I had if I had some time, I would like to write poetry um, and maybe some fiction. Maybe we can collaborate on something one day because that is my passion cool. as an artist, and that's what I studied. Uh, and and started doing as a very young person, similar to you with photography. And I've got, you know, notebooks and notebooks and notebooks filled with poems and stream of conscious, you know, prose and, and all this stuff. So um you know, one of the one of the dreams I had as a as a young writer was was to actually um uh work with a photographer hmm. and and have, you know, artistic shots done and then I would put words to them and we would frame it up together and sell it. I'm in. Help okay. me in. Cool. See, think about you. You just asked me, you know, what's the what's the project that would really inspire you? Yeah. I don't really have an exact answer, but right now, like hearing that and hearing that idea and wanting to be a part of it was that feeling of like inspiration that not many people can really describe. But I got very excited about that project. Amazing. Well, Spencer, I want to thank you for your time. I want to hey. cheers you with this delicious Japanese whiskey. Cheers. And clink. And um, I want to ask you how people can find you. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Of course. Um, it's been a, a great experience. I've witnessed so many of these, and now it's awesome to be a part of it. But people can find me on social uh, at Spencer Cohn, K-O-H-N, uh, at Supercharge www.supercharge.nyc and www.spencercone.com K-O-H-N Amazing. Thank you again, Spencer. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, George. Cheers. Cheers. That's it for Solar Stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back next time for another great guest and another great story on the art and business of influence. I'm George Manley. This is where the story starts. We can't wait to hear yours. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. You can find more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2018, Solar Inc., all rights reserved. Thank you for listening.